Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 6. And if not, they're gonna, the verses will come up on the screen as well. So you can follow along. So this is Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 15, and also Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 59. Now Stephen, a man, of, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs amongst the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of, the, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard... Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false, witness who testif- false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Acts 7:54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Please join me in giving a warm welcome for David Stroud. Thank you, Cole. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Uh, I had a great time in the South service. It was lovely to leave there and to walk into this worshipping crowd and sense God's presence at work amongst us this morning. And fantastic to watch that video as well. Uh, Probably most of you don't know Beth. Philippa and I have got to know Beth pretty well. As she said, when she came to the Covent Garden service, she was still working things out in terms of faith. Uh, Today, for the first time, she is hosting the Covent Garden service, and at the carol service, she was one of four people who spoke and had us all in floods of tears uh, because of the power of what God's done in her life. And that is just an example of what's happened around the church since we've gone to multiple services. I suspect if we'd not gone to multiple services, Beth would have never come to Christ Church London. So happy fourth anniversary. God is at work amongst us. And to be honest, I don't know how we would have done any of this without the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, as I look back over my Christian life, I don't know how I would have done that without the work of the Holy Spirit. My faith really came alive in my late teens when I went to my pastor and I said, will you pray for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He did. I experienced nothing at the time But I remember being in worship later that day and having this 
intense sense of God's presence, and it didn't go away at the end of the meeting. In fact, it got more intense and more intense. And I remember getting back to school. I was 17, just going into my last year at school, and we're standing there waiting for the doors to open for the beginning of the last year. And someone comes up to me and says, Hi, how was your summer holiday? And it was one of those moments where I spoke before I thought. Are you familiar with that experience? And I just said, it was amazing. God totally changed my life. And left him with his jaw open as I headed in to start the year. But that was truly what had happened. It's truly how it felt. One of the reasons we started this church, and consequently one of the reasons you are sitting here this morning, it's because the Holy Spirit spoke to a lady about Philippa and I. We were pastoring a church in the Midlands, and she texted us. She said, you're like a, pot, a plant that needs replanting. You've outgrown your pot. Now, she didn't know at that point. We were literally praying, should we move to London? Well, the Holy Spirit was ahead of us. One of the reasons we went to four services, now six services as a church, is because the Holy Spirit spoke to us. Pete Gregg, who's a friend of ours, he'll actually be with us on Love London Sunday in May. Pete Gregg had come to preach. His sermon was fine, fortunately, but he left the best till last. Because at the end of his sermon, he said, Christchurch London, I've been praying for you and I need to tell you something. And he started talking about the reorganization that God was going to work amongst us, uh, leading to much more fruitfulness as a result. And for those of us who were involved in decision making, we knew what he was talking about because we've been talking that very week about should we go from two services here to four services in different places. So I don't know how we'd have done this without the Holy Spirit. And I'm not just talking about corporately. I don't know how we would individually. I'm out in the fire last Sunday after the service. Somebody comes out, say hi, we have a chat. How are you doing? How's your new year started? Oh, how's Christ Church London working for you, I said. Uh, and this, uh, this person said, uh, really well. They said, last Sunday I took communion for the first time. And they said it was just a really powerful experience. And I was moved to tears as I took communion. They said, then I sort of felt giddy. And that was God at work in this auditorium last Sunday. And he was at work this morning, evidently, as well. A few weeks, a couple of months ago in Covent Garden service, this sort of rugby player type walked in. If you'll forgive the caricature, he is a rugby player. Um, it was his first time, as far as I know, ever being in our sort of church. During the worship, somebody comes to the front, says, I think God's spoken to me, and he says, you're meant to be here, and then sat down again. I thought, thanks. I thought, I love it when people share profound, scripturally full words that make you think with lots to draw on as they glorify God, like, you're meant to be here. Well, I'm not to know that, I mean, rugby player uh, guy comes to me at the end totally shaken up. I mean, there's a real contrast between his physique, which is all strength, and his posture, which is all like, I don't know what's just happened to me, 
but I have been really, I've been getting a lot of pressure to go back to where I'm from, but I'm feeling like I'm meant to be here. And those words, you are meant to be here, made all the difference. I've never experienced anything like that. What was going on? God was at work. God was at work. And it started a new journey for that individual. And so Joe last Sunday spoke brilliantly here and challenged us and said, at the beginning of 2020, will you make this a year of the Bible? Well, I want to compliment her sermon of last Sunday with this question. In 2020, will you make it a year full of the Spirit? I don't know about you, I started 2020 or New Year's Eve, sort of just around then, I sit down and I thought about the coming year. And no doubt, numbers of you here did the same. And it's easy to make our plans, but my question is, did you make space for the Holy Spirit? Did you ask, what does the Holy Spirit want me to do this year? What would my year be like if I was full of the Spirit? Well, that is the challenge that I want to give you this morning. And I want to do it by looking in the book of Acts at the story of the first Christian martyr. Now, do not worry. This is not going to be sort of all death and gloom this morning. But Stephen was a man who was full of the Spirit. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from him. In essence, the book of Acts, if you, you sum it up, it's like really exciting news if you're a first century Jew. Old Testament context, the Holy Spirit is a sort of, has a sort of elitist role. In other words, the Holy Spirit is available for special people doing special things on special occasions. He's not typically given to everyone. If you want God's presence, you need to go to the temple. So consequently, the temple became very, very precious. Because people like you and I, it was the only way we could find God's presence, go to the temple. And that became a sort of hard belief. Book of Acts says, it's changed. When Jesus went back to the Father, the Spirit was given. He's now available for everyone, everywhere, anytime. The Holy Spirit has become egalitarian. The Holy Spirit's given to all which has implications for the temple, who the Jews are still like, no, the temple's the thing. Stephen preaches the longest sermon in the Bible on why it's not. I'm going to summarize it in two minutes in a moment. And for any of you who don't like reading long passages, you should be very grateful for that. But just before we get to that, the content of his sermon... Before he preaches it, we're told he is full of God's grace and power. In other words, he's full of the Spirit. What would it look like if you were full of the Spirit? For Stephen, it's firstly, it says that he did many signs and wonders. In other words, he helped people. And we don't exactly know what the signs and wonders are. Most likely they included healings and other miracles. But when you get full of the Spirit, it's like your greatest strengths get amplified and you find there are other things that you couldn't do before that you can now do. Maybe you've gone into 2020 facing criticism in a divisive situation. Well, if you are, you'll be grateful for the Spirit because he gives you wisdom. As Stephen gets charged with criticism, we're told he speaks with such wisdom that his critics go quiet. They have nothing to say because he's full of the Spirit and he speaks wisdom. 
Maybe for you, if you get into conflict, it takes away God's presence. Be typically the situation. Adrenaline goes up. Fight or flight. Where's God? And yet for Stephen, we're told that in the middle of his conflicts, he does this long sermon. And then as he speaks to the religious authorities, and we're told by the end, they are furious. They're gnashing their teeth. You know, it's one thing during a sermon if people start... You know as a preacher you're in trouble, but if they start gnashing their teeth, that is a whole different level. So we're told Stephen's preaching, they're gnashing their teeth, and we're told that his face shines like an angel. So if you're facing conflict this, week, this year, then get full of the Spirit, because you could do with some of that. The ultimate test for Stephen is his death. Have you ever thought about what it'll be like when you die? This was a big question for the Victorians. And they used to say one of the biggest challenges of our faith is to die well at that moment of death. Well, Stephen, full of the Spirit, passed with flying colors. We're told that he can see God. He calls out, I forgive. These previously guys who had been gnashing teeth, just in the end, they stand up, they grab him, they take him out and they start stoning him. They kill him through just throwing rocks at him. But we're told as he goes, he looks at the father and he says, forgive them. Some way to die. So my encouragement to you in 2020 is this. Get full of the spirit. Whatever else we do, and we'll get to our move, the most you know, important part for us as a service shortly. But listen, my encouragement, as I speak to myself as well, get full of the spirit in 2020 and we're going to look at Stephen's speech and the implications for us and I think we'll find them really helpful but let me just summarize this speech so just to summarize what I've said temple used to be really important only way normal people could find God's presence very precious then the Holy Spirit is given to everyone Jews are like no the temple Stephen's like Holy Spirit's been given so he takes the whole of chapter 7 and he shows through the Old Testament that they've got the temple, they've elevated the temple too high. It's become too important to them. He starts with Abraham. He says, look, remember Abraham. When God in his glory appeared to him, it wasn't in the temple. He was in what the Bible calls Mesopotamia. He was in northern Iraq. My geography is not very good, but I know northern Iraq is away from Jerusalem. He's like, Abraham experienced God's presence. No temple there. Then he says, Joseph. Joseph goes to Egypt. Egypt in the Old Testament equals darkness. He goes into darkness away from the temple and he's full of the Spirit and used by God. Then Moses is in the desert and the bush turns into fire. And Do you remember what God says? Take off your sandals. This is a holy place. Stephen's like... Read the words. He's in the desert. There's a burning bush. There's no temple in sight. Jerusalem's a long way away and the temple's not been built. Holiness can break out anywhere. And then he goes on and he says, actually, even when God speaks about dwelling in the temple, there's a symbolic sense to it. It will be my footstool, says the Lord. Not that he will only deal, 
dwell there exclusively, but he will dwell there and other places at the same time. So Stephen's saying that God's never been limited to the temple. His outpourings happen everywhere. Now he doesn't get time to apply this before the gnashing turns to throwing of rocks. So we get all the theology in Acts 7, and then we're like reading it 2,000 years and multiple continents away, or a continent away from where it was spoken. We're like, uh, what, what's the application? How does, what effect does this have for us now? And the New Testament, other writers pick these themes up and they give us three applications which are really important for us as we make the move to the old theater at the LSE. And the first application is this, that the temple is no longer the thing because you are the temple. You individually, you're the temple. It used to be that God would fill the temple with his presence, but now he fills you with his presence. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Paul's saying, you don't have to go to the temple now because God's come to you. You don't have to take a sacrifice to the temple. You now have to live sacrificial lives. In the Old Testament, there were times where the temple is full of God's presence, but other times where it's not in a good place. How's you as a temple right now? Are you full of God's presence? Or is there just the remnants of what was once something glorious? Well, Paul's application of this is like, if you are going to be a temple of the Spirit, you've got to live right. You've got to live right, because it's holy people that get lots of the Holy Spirit. And he applies this in one particular way. Now, just to say first, I appreciate that holiness is many, many different things, and different things for each of us. But Paul applies this to our sexual lives. Here's what he says in verse 18, just before he talks about us as the temple. He says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Which is one of the reasons when many, when many of us, any of us, have had negative sexual experiences, it's like they feel like they stain. It's hard to get the feelings and the memories away. It's different, he says. Now, the last 50 years in society, and here we've got about three minutes on sex, okay? I realize, too much for some of you and not enough for others, but there we go. That's all we've got time for this morning. 50, 50 years ago now, we had the sexual revolution, which essentially was this. You can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. That was the message. Very persuasive message. The proponents for decades have been shouting, yeah, liberation, freedom. And yet what's been fascinating is that more recently, the mood music has changed. And a number of secular writers have been sounding alarm bells. 
with the way and the attitudes that Western society has taken. Here's an example, Vanity Fair did a long article a couple of years ago now called The Dating Apocalypse. It, in the article, the focus was on the hookup culture and how deeply it's affecting the ability for people to have long-term relationships. No one wants to live in the hookup culture forever. They may do it for a phase, but we're all in the end looking for something longer-lasting. And the article argues that hooking up is driven by a desire for intimacy, but it's actually destroying our ability to get the very thing, intimacy, that we're looking for. More recently, on the Unheard website, was the article, Why Are Young People Falling Out of Love with Sex? It's saying that statistically, young people are having less sex than they've had for decades. In fact, the article opens with these words, sex has gone horribly, horribly wrong. And looks at dating apps and hookup culture and a number of other things as well. Now maybe, maybe the ancient powerful wisdom of the scriptures has something to say at this point in time. Not just to us, but to everybody. There were other articles I would love to have quoted, but Sunday morning is not the time to go there. You only need to read the Song of Solomon, the Bible's very own book on sex, to find an altogether different view of sex, which is positive, honoring, life-giving, and frankly, erotic too. It stands in a tradition, the Bible's tradition, which says... Don't just give yourself away. You're worth more than that. Not only are you infinitely valuable, but you are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's hard for the Holy Spirit to inhabit a body which is giving itself in ways it should not, looking at things it should not, and dreaming of things it should not, all driven by that desire for intimacy which ultimately comes from the Holy Spirit and from community together. Now, of course, there are other temptations, other dangers, things which stop us living full of the Spirit. But it's this one that Paul addresses, which is why I mention it this morning. Paul's advice is flee temptation. Don't circle around the edges. My question to you, whether it's your sexual life in some element of it, or whether it's other things for you, my question is this, what changes might you need to make to be full of the Holy Spirit this year? What things might you need to change? What things might you need to talk with others? What might cause you to say, when our steps course comes up next term, I'm there, I'm onyx, there's things in here that... I don't like and that frankly aren't the way that I want to live. You're a temple. I'm a temple. You and I, we need to live holy. Secondly, we're temple together. We're a temple together. Here's how Paul puts it. Don't you, and this time it's a plural you, not a singular you, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's tem temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. 
Now, how do we keep this body, this family, this spiritual family, sacred? There's some funny ideas out there. I remember as a child going to Westminster Abbey. I think I probably, I can't remember whether I went up in a coach or whether it was a family outing. But anyway, I went into the Abbey and I had one of those sort of old Parker coats on, fur around the hood and with my hood up. And I'm walking around thinking it's pretty cold in this place. And somebody, one of the attendants comes up to me and says, excuse me, are you a boy or a girl? I'm not offended by that, but I'm just like, I'm a boy. And she says, then can you take your hat off, please? Now, I'm quite sure that was well-meaning, but actually it's got nothing to do with keeping a temple sacred. I understand the traditions that grow up, but you won't find it anywhere in the Bible. Being, keeping this place sacred has nothing to do with your hat wear, head wear, or lack of it. It has to do with other things like valuing the temple. I mentioned last, uh, last Sunday, Philip and I have just had a, a, the wonderful experience of our son, eldest son getting married last weekend. Fantastic. And you know how these, you know, we did the wedding, then we did one celebration, then we did a second celebration. And I'm, beforehand, I'm talking to my, my father, who's 83, doesn't live in London. I'm saying, Dad, here's the time things are going to finish. It's going to be really late if you go home after that. Why don't you stay in London overnight and you go back the next day? And we talk about it. He says, no. He says, I want to go back. He says, otherwise I'll miss church. And he said, I really want to be there. I'm like, oh, is there something special happening tomorrow? He said, no. No, 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 no. He said, no, it's, it's church. He said, I need to be there. Dad joined this church with my mother 43 years ago. On the first Sunday, there were 10 couples that started this new church. It's now over 500 people in three different sites. For the last 43 years, he's been saying, I want to be there. He understands that the local church is the temple for the community. It's the place where God dwells. And if you want to bless a community, you need to build a temple first. And he understands some Sundays, like he's unwelcome. So he's like, I've got to be there. I'm unwelcome. Other Sundays, he's not serving. He's just there. But he says, just being there matters. Now, my encouragement to you is value the church. Value this temple. Your presence matters. I know it may sound funny to you, but it makes a difference when we're together. So many things I could say about the temple, but value it, contribute to it. Joe's already talked about that. Make life easy for its leaders. I appreciate that I could be <laughs> accused here of some self-interest. But before I preach my first message today, I get a text message from someone in the South Service. They actually used to be here at the Mermaid thanking Philip and I for our leadership over X number of years and the difference it's made to their lives. It's deeply encouraging and moving. Now, you know, it's a bit like when you announce a birthday party and you say no presents required. I don't need texts and emails after this sermon, okay? I mean, if you want my text number, I can give it to you, but <laughs> that is not my point. My point is it makes a huge difference when whoever's leading us, my connect group leader, my Welcome leader, my worship leader, whoever it is. How can I make their life as easy as possible by the way I contribute? 
That helps build the temple. And the opposite is destructive. It pulls the temple down. Your actions and your attitudes are powerful. And you can pull down part of the roof or you can make it stronger. What do you want to do? As for me and my house, I've decided. I'm building the temple wherever I am, whenever I am, for the rest of my days. And I hope you will too. Love, 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 the, te- love the people in the temple. Love your brothers and sisters here. It's not that hard. Love them. Speak well of them. Don't bicker behind someone's back. Believe the best of them. Be kind to them. Be patient to them. Forgive them. Love them. If we do that to each other, it creates a basis for the fragrance of God. The little Covent Garden service have done amazingly at this. And somebody came in. It was really odd. Last Sunday, I looked around at the back. One of the most famous worship leaders in the world is on the back row at the Covent Garden service last Sunday. I'm like, so he says to me afterwards, he's just in town and just decides to go to church. So we talk afterwards. He says, you could tell, you could feel the sense of community, he said. When I walked, you could feel the fragrance of God because they love each other. Let's do that. Not for the most famous fill-in-the-blank in the world, but for the least and the lonely for the needy, and for those who are lonely and need it the most. I'm a temple, you're a temple, we're a temple together. And before I say the third one, something I meant to say at the beginning, at the end I'm going to invite everyone to the front and we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill the temple. Just saying, don't have to come if you don't want to. But we'll come back to that. The third thing that the New Testament applied, they say, Temples individually, temples together, and then the world will become a temple. The world will become... It is actually a temple at the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. That's where God dwells. But by the end, the city, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven has no temple in it. Where's the temple? Because the whole thing's become the temple. I haven't got time to trace all this through in a way that I'd love to now. But the determination is the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, how do we fill the earth with God's glory? It's very difficult if you've got a set temple in a set place. How do you get the temple in Jerusalem to fill the earth? But if now we're the temple, we're mobile. We can move. So we can go and fill the temple. And that's one of the reasons that we're moving to the old theater. We want to create deeper community, know more of the Spirit's presence, and bless this city more as a result. Now, there was at one point in time, we were used to moving as a church. Like in the first few years, basically, every 12 months, I stood up and said, this place is no good anymore, time to go. And everyone was like, yeah! But now I'm like, it's time to move. And people are like, we've been here nine and a half years. I'm used to coming here. It's, I've got to travel further if I go to the old theatre. Incidentally, if you travel on the district line, it's one stop more. If you travel on the central line, it's one stop more. Or less, depending on which side of the town you're coming from, as Philip has just corrected me. Excellent. So for some of us, it's easier. But come on. Let's take the temple and fill the earth. 
And this idea that God is intent on not just coming to places that are static, but he's on the move, was something that the Moravians got. The Moravians were the guys who got John Wesley going, which this nation really benefited from. But they had this emblem or this badge. And it, said, it says, our lamb has conquered, we will follow. Our lamb has conquered, but then built in is this sense, and he's on the move. The temple's moving. You know what Gandhi said? He said, there go my people, I must follow, for I am their leader. Well, sometimes we're like, there goes God, let's go after him. He didn't tell us, but he's gone, so let's go. One of my essentially mentors, I never actually met him, but he shaped me through his writing and his teaching. He used to say, I'm not committed to this church for any longer than God is. He said, the minute God leaves, I'm going to leave too. And he said, if God goes over there, I'm going too. Now, what he meant by that was, I'm following the Spirit. And I want to encourage us together to follow the Spirit as we make this move, which we believe is God leading us. At the, as I said, at the beginning of the new year, I sat down to pray about the new year, about 2020, and I got this list of things I want to do. I'm a list maker. And there's my list. And I sit down and I lean back my head and I start to pray. Have you ever had the experience that you think you're going to talk about something with God and you end up talking about something totally different? Has that ever happened to anyone else here? Happened to me. So I'm ready to go through my list and pray and I feel like the Holy Spirit say to me, what is going to make you stand out this year more than anything else? He said, it's nothing on your list. He said, it's the anointing of God. You can do lots of things. And we're in a city where people do, lots of people do, lots of things. But if you get the anointing of God on your life, you will stand out. Not for your promotion or success, but for his glory. So get the anointing of God. How do I get that? Oh, you pray, you eagerly desire, then you pray some more, you probably fast, you give up things, you live a life of sacrifice, you live in total obedience, and you get drenched with the Spirit. That's what God calls us to. You're the, spirit, you're the temple. Live a holy life. Can the band come back, please? You're the temple. Live a holy life. We're the temple. Love one another. Serve one another. Value this and understand your role is key. And then let us together seek to fill the earth. And let's start with this city. And let us pray that over the years to come, we'll start service after service, temple after temple, full of the Spirit that can serve the communities around. I wonder whether you'd stand, please. Thank you for listening. For more information and resources, head to Christchurchlondon.com.